0: You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people guaranteed.
1: Do you still consider yourself the frontrunner?
0: That's Nora O'Donnell on 60 Minutes interviewing presidential candidate Joe Biden. I know Ooh. I'm a frontrunner. But of course, Biden's rivals for the Democratic nomination will have something to say about that.
1: I am, I am more than, than, ready than ready to assume the, the office... office. Of president president of of United States. States.
0: This week, we return to the Democratic primary race, where do we find a fight between idealism and pragmatism? Can anybody win back Trump voters or are they even trying? And does big money help this race, hurt it, or does it not matter? We'll tackle all of that this week. Welcome, everybody. This is Anthony Salvanto. I am here with Caitlin Huey Burns, CBS News political reporter. Caitlin, how are you?
2: Hello, Good to see you
0: Today's big number in your honor is five, which is you've been on the road now for five straight days. I think that's you that's right that, that last I like night. that number. Yeah, <laughs> and so well, now now it's day one back back home. Yes. So starting the
2: clock <laughs>
0: <laughs> but you you were out in Iowa. You were out in Des Moines give us a sense of what you saw out there and what is it like listening to the candidates give all of these stump speech after sp- after stump speech?
2: Yeah, well, first of all, you can't really be in Iowa these days without running into several presidential candidates. We talked to Amy Klobuchar. We followed Elizabeth Warren for a couple of days. Then we talked to Joe Biden. And earlier in this primary, we were kind of talking about, is this going to be a nationalized race where do they have to focus on kind of the retail campaigning in places like Iowa? That's still going to be kind of the the starting point or the really important point. And we were kind of having that debate. And I think judging after this week, the amount of time that candidates are spending in Iowa, other candidates like Kamala Harris was also there, I should mention, Mm. really staking her campaign in Iowa now. It's very apparent that that Caucus is going to be make or break for a lot of these campaigns.
0: It's a media play, right? Mm -hmm. It means that they need to come out of that week in early February with the media saying they won or they Mm -hmm. did well or they met expectations. Mm -hmm. And what is it that they feel like they can leverage? Maybe they're spending a lot of money. They've been running a campaign now for six, seven, eight months, Mm -hmm. but now they can focus in one spot.
2: Well, you know, earlier on in this primary, there was a lot of talk about, okay, well, Iowa and New Hampshire don't really have a diverse electorate at all, not Mm -hmm. representative of the kinds of voters that they're going to need later on in the primary to actually get the nomination, states like South Carolina, Texas, California. Mm -hmm. But I think now, you know, when you look at a candidate like Kamala Harris, who needs her campaign said needs a top three finish to advance on, or a candidate like Amy Klobuchar, who is sensing some opportunity in Iowa. She senses that there may be some voters who were, you know, some more moderate centrist voters who were appealing to Joe Biden as he kind of either slides in the polls or shows some kinds of vulnerabilities. Candidates like that kind of are making the calculation, well, if I keep campaigning in Iowa and appealing to those voters, maybe I can um, gain some traction.
0: So let me pick up on your point about Klobuchar for a moment. She's obviously lagging in the polls. She's certainly not mm-hmm. in the top tier, but she's qualified for the next debate. Mm-hmm. And in Iowa, she's been making the pitch, as I read it from here, that she's from the Midwest, Mm -hmm. right, trying to to get that that local affinity. When you talked to her, what was it that you picked up on that is the centerpiece of of her message right now?
2: Yeah, she did a big bus tour throughout Iowa for the weekend, spending about three days, lots of different stops. So we joined her on one of the days on her bus, and she's making the calculation that there is a craving in the party for uh, some kind of moderate, practical approach to just getting things done. And I asked her, well, what kind of evidence do you see for that, given that we've seen Elizabeth Warren being the one to consistently be gaining ground, especially in a place like Iowa?
0: Sure. She has good support um, and my support is growing.
1: And I think what I've seen is there are people that are tired of the noise and nonsense in the extremes and they are looking for someone who has their back. And they have a home with me.
2: And she's kind of figuring a couple of different things. One, that as voters get closer to voting and they're trying to figure out who can actually beat Donald Trump, they want someone, she says, who can not only just win, but win decisively enough to deliver some kind of mandate. And she believes that her kind of campaign is the one that is geared to do that, that if you were able to actually win back Trump voters, then that gives you that kind of added credential. I sensed in her a little bit of a concern about where the party was headed, given that Elizabeth Warren and Bernie Sanders consistently are either at the top or in that top tier. And I think her campaign is kind of a message uh, about wait, 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 this is not what we want. This is not necessarily what I believe the party to be.
0: So there's something interesting in there that reflects something we saw in the polling a couple of weeks ago, which was asking people whether they thought the candidate's plans were idealistic or realistic. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that's sort of been attendant with Elizabeth Warren's rise is that most of her voters think that her plans are realistic, Mm -hmm. whereas there's a real difference. The folks who think that her plans are more idealistic Mm -hmm. are for Joe Biden.
1: Uh As I've explained, the wealth tax will pay for universal child care all the way through canceling student loan debt. It's about an investment in an entire generation. Uh, Over the next few weeks, I'll be coming out with a plan about the costs of Medicare for all and how we can pay for it. Let's talk about Medicare for all. Do you think there's been any truth in advertising on that? It's going to raise taxes on middle class people. Not just wealthy people you're talking about elizabeth warren well i'm not only talking about even bernie acknowledges you got to raise taxes elizabeth warren says she's going to propose a wealth tax (laughs) two cents on the dollar for every dollar over 50 million dollars she says that money can be used to improve teacher salaries provide tuition free public college and wipe out student debt
0: so when you say pragmatism you're talking about this split in the party that is saying, well, Democrats might have to work with Republicans, a Democratic president might have to work with Republicans. And yet there's probably there is a component of the party that's frankly in no mood for that, right? Isn't in no mood for partisan compromise.
2: So we spent a lot of time at Elizabeth Warren events talking to voters there. They kind of point to past candidates like Barack Obama and others who were just inspirational in their candidacies and their big ideas. You know, some of them Realize that that maybe not everything can get done, but they want someone who can really turn out people and kind of motivate them around some some key principles, and also get the party to where they want it to be. Uh, then we talked to people at Amy Klobuchar's events who not only were thinking about her or Joe Biden, but also Pete Buttigieg. Um, you know, in, in primaries or in debates past, he would say things like. Democrat, uh, Republicans are going to call us all socialists anyway, so let's fight this on our terms. Now he seems to be going after Elizabeth Warren and some other candidates saying things you're talking about are not going to win us elections and people want to get things done. So I think he's figuring that there's some appetite for that, especially if uh, if Joe Biden kind of continues to slip.
0: The interest to which you're referring is, at least in our polling in Iowa, he doubled his support he went from seven to fourteen percent as first choice. There's more people than that who are considering him now. He's still in in our polling. He was still fourth, and Elizabeth Warren and Biden and Sanders all ahead of him. And and you know one of the things though about about Warren is that we heard a while back that Democratic fundraisers, Democratic donors were leery of some of the ideas she was putting forward, they, they said, at least in the reports that I read, because they felt that they were too liberal or too progressive, especially for the folks who were, you know, running large businesses and, mm-hmm. and, and still donate and donating to the, to the Democrats. So is that still a concern or was that at any point a concern or do Democrats or Democrats out there saying, well, that's sort of a badge of honor? If, the, mm-hmm. if wealthy donors don't want to support. I was gonna say her. that's
2: certainly how she's running her campaign. Mm-hmm. And uh, she makes a point to say that she doesn't do the big fundraisers. You know, She has the selfie lines instead where uh, she's meeting people and they're sharing those photos and it's generating this kind of grassroots support momentum. I will say I went to four of her events in Iowa back to back. So I've pretty much memorized her stump speech, which I will <laughs> note has not changed since Since January, (laughs) uh, when I went to one of her first events, uh, which is pretty remarkable. But the thing that got an applause line time after time was, We need to repeal Citizens United, is something that she says. And people just really engage with that line. And I think that reflects this uh, sentiment in the party against big money, against corporate interests, as they call them, against kind of outside influence on how they want to practice politics. And that's why recently when Joe Biden's campaign said that they're not going to tell the super PACs not to be involved now. I think that got a lot of candidates and, and voters riled up. I mean, Elizabeth Warren responded to that, but O'Rourke and some others. Uh, and so I think in the coming days and weeks, I think that's going to be something to, to watch.
0: So you should remind everybody what a super PAC is and what it does and why Democrats have been so opposed to, to it.
2: Right. So a super PAC can taken unlimited amounts of money. And so it's a way for outside groups to be able to run ads, to be able to... Sometimes Democrats like what they're able to do because they can focus on ground game operations and do things with unlimited resources in some uh, some ways that campaigns just can't do. And they can't coordinate with the campaigns at all, which is a key component. And this kind of came out of, of the Citizens United ruling
0: And it's sort of juxtaposed against what the Democrats have put such a premium on Mm -hmm. this season, which is small dollar donors, numbers of donors, even qualifying for the debates. They've even made it part of the rules that these candidates have to get a certain amount of donors.
2: Exactly. As opposed
0: to just a couple, you know, of big donors. So Mm -hmm. it's really sort of codified within the party. Right. Reflecting that that push from the grassroots.
2: Exactly. And so the rules have changed a little bit on that as well. The question I have, though, is, is that going to matter in the long run when you're competing against Donald Trump, who has joined forces with the RNC, raised $125 million with the RNC in the past quarter? You know, I've talked to a lot of Democrats donors who are saying, you know, look, this is great that the party wants to focus on the grassroots. This is this is awesome that this is the kind of mentality of the voter right now. But when it gets down to the basic fundamentals of this campaign, Democrats have to have the money to compete against Donald Trump. And does this prevent that kind of money being raised?
0: We're talking with CBS political reporter Caitlin Huey Burns. On the other side of this break, we'll talk about whether impeachment has shaken up this race. Well, I think they want to – any Democrat wants to because they're not going to beat me in the election. So, of course, they want to impeach. Why wouldn't they want to impeach me?
2: It's so so illegitimate.
0: So, speaking of of President Trump, Trump, there's another sort of big number out there taking from your reporting, and that's zero. And that's the number of times you said you had heard the word impeachment come up at all of these town halls that you've been doing. And, you know, it's somewhat reflected, again, back to the polling for a second. When we gave people a list last week of all the issues in the Democratic primary that they cared about, Impeachment was dead last on that list. It ranked behind gun policy, climate change, income inequality at, you know, 70% saying that was a really important thing. Foreign policy, even trade policy. We don't really don't see those things always pop up. But but all of those things were ahead of impeachment. And so then it's reflected in what you're hearing. Simple question is, why is that?
2: I think a couple of different things are at play. First, I went to several town halls across Iowa for different candidates over the past few days and nobody asked the candidates about it. And even when we were talking to voters afterwards were ahead of these events, they never brought it up. And I think one thing is that... They pretty much know where all these candidates stand on impeachment because mm. they've made it clear. Mm. And then I think the other thing is that people are just really still focused on their own individual bottom lines. Mm. When they talk about health care, they're not really talking about Medicare for all versus Medicare for more versus Medicare for all who want it. They're thinking about it as, okay, the prescription that I take that I have to take is really expensive and I'm struggling to figure out how to pay for it and why is it so expensive? And then I also think, they think that, Of course they, these kind of base Democratic voters, of course they want Donald Trump out of office. That's why they're participating in this process right now. Mm -hmm. Whether it happens now, they support the inquiry, certainly. They think he should be impeached, certainly. But it's just not something that they are kind of rallying around against right now because they figure, look, we're going to have an election about this. And also they're kind of trusting in the system, at least in the House, to, to kind of play itself out. Right. And when you get a chance to stand up at a town hall and ask a candidate a question, are you going to use it for that where you kind of know where things are going? Or are you gonna use it to say, look, this is what I'm dealing with personally. This is what I want you to be focused on if mm-hmm. you are to ever get in a position to be able to help me. And I also think that there are they are thinking kind of beyond Trump, right? That at some point, you know, these issues are pressing for them and they need them addressed at some point.
0: So Bernie Sanders gets this endorsement from Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. It It wasn't
1: wasn't until until I heard heard of a a man man by the name name of Bernie Sanders Sanders. (laughs) that I I began began to question and assert and recognize my inherent value as a human being that deserves health care, housing, education, and a living wage.
0: Is that something that then gets the very liberal, very progressive base to take another look at him? He's obviously already well-known. He's got a strong base of support. We know from the polls, folks who supported in 2016, many of them have poured it over. But he's also splitting support, not just with Elizabeth Warren, but also with Joe Biden. Mm-hmm. And yeah. which also, which is a reminder, Caitlin, of course, that not everybody goes by the ideological lanes that the media and the pollsters (laughs) stick everybody into. Exactly. Um, What what does that do for him?
2: A couple things. First, I think it comes at a time that he really needed this, right? He is coming off the past couple of weeks, not being on the campaign trail with the exception of the debate, having had that heart attack and needed to tell people, look, I am back. And that's literally what he did with a rally with Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez in New York. To put it bluntly. I am back! And he is trying to signal to people that not only is he still here to compete, but that he is attracting kind of the newer voices in the party that are really having an impact on shaping the party. I think if any campaign said they didn't want Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez's endorsement, they would not be being honest with you. I think hers was a very coveted endorsement. And I think what it tells us, at least at this point in time, is that she kind of represents the original Bernie Sanders supporter. Remember, she talks about how she was inspired to run for office and to get into politics because she heard what Bernie Sanders was saying. And how she was talking about Bernie Sanders is what you hear from his supporters and the reason why they are sticking with him for now. And I think that's reflected in his fundraising numbers, which is that he is the only person that they believe at this point in time who really, really embodies their values. So...
0: Since this is Halloween week, let me ask a somewhat <laughs> contrived question thought. this race isn't really bouncing around right. all that dramatically. Mm-hmm. You know what do they think? What worries these campaigns, and what do they think could be the next po- point point? That, that moves moves things
2: well something that they all say that they're competing against it used to be donald trump taking up the oxygen now it's the impeachment inquiry taking up the oxygen and mm. everything happening on the hill as i mentioned you know it's not something that voters are asking them about but it's something that they're conscious of in terms of getting media time right and then, you know, the debates, I think, have really had an outsized influence on this race more so than than they have in the past, just given that that threshold number, given the requirements, given the the way in which you have to raise money. I think that's something that has shaped kind of how campaigns are operating in terms of garnering grassroots donors, in terms of getting that national media attention to place well in national polls to be able to make the debate. And I think they also are concerned about the way in which Donald Trump is just gathering a lot of money, but also that he has, compared to Republicans past, really cultivated a, a grassroots donor system of his own and that he's competing online already. He's has a succinct message that he is telling his supporters and he's keeping them engaged, even as the inquiry is going on. So that's something that they know. They're kind of concerned the longer that this primary drags out, are they losing time to be able to compete one-on-one with Donald Trump?
0: Okay. So last thing, Caitlin, speaking of giving things out, CBS News poll for Halloween week is out. Will, will you give out candy in your household? What percent of Americans do you think said they're going to they're gonna give out candy this Halloween?
2: Oh, wow. What a fun question. <laughs> I thought, I thought you so. You know, we just got something in our uh, apartment building reminding us to uh, get ready for the little trick-or-treaters. Yep, I, I'm going to just say that I, I imagine the opposite. I imagine more people don't want to give out candy.
0: Actually, no. Americans are giving out candy, but marginally, it's 53%. And that that number is higher among uh, parents, kids, okay. under, kids under 18, not surprisingly <laughs> it goes up, it goes up to 60 percent. Oh And the, the percent of Americans who believe in ghosts, Caitlin, 43 percent. Interesting. It is
2: pretty, it's so pretty So if you're light. a campaign right now, what can you take away from that? That <laughs> gives you a sense of where <laughs> where voters are. They're wanting to share, but kind of not really, right? Not by a wide margin.
0: Or, Or maybe if these candidates keep, you know, traipsing around Iowa and New Hampshire, people feel like, you know... They're haunting the place.
2: (laughs) Instead of a dark horse, we may have a ghost in the race.
0: (laughs) All right. Enough puns. Um, This has been fun as always. Caitlin, thank Thank you you for joining us in studio. So we'll wrap it there. My thanks again to CBS News political reporter Caitlin Huey Burns, who will head back out on the road for some new as yet unknown number of days. But also with a good reminder for all of us that even in this digital-driven campaign where candidates are using television and the internet and targeting to talk about their issues to people, that folks out there on the campaign trail with them can still teach us and tell us an awful lot. And also that this dynamic we see between idealism and pragmatism might continue to be one of the ones to watch in this democratic race, not just because of the candidate splits in the polling, not just because the very definition of what's practical or idealistic is in fact debatable and surely will be debated, but also politically, because in primaries, you're often watching a party debate how they'd like to govern alongside the particulars of policy. It's a political approach, As the voters pick someone to navigate a deeply divided age. My thanks, as always, to everybody at CBS News Radio who make this podcast possible, most especially my wonderful producer, Alan Pang. Thank you very much for all the help from Maeve Burke. And most of all, to all of you for listening. Send us your questions, your comments, polling questions in particular. You can add us on Twitter. At, at W-D-Y-G-T-N. On Instagram, we're at get this number. Subscribe if you haven't already and rate us if you like what you've heard wherever you get your podcast. Have a happy Halloween and we'll be back at it next week.